back in the 1900s, I got a phone call from a tour company in Boston, and they were putting together a group that was coming from South Africa who wanted to see the South. And so they wanted to see Nashville, Chattanooga, Memphis, New Orleans. And for seven days, I got to be with some incredible people and see my culture through their eyes. It was one of the greatest things I've ever done. really made me appreciate my home. So we left Nashville. We went to Chattanooga. First stop was Ruby Falls. Now, I love water, love waterfalls. Never been there. I couldn't wait to get there. So I got everybody in. They had their tickets. They were all going off in groups. I'm the last one to go. And they said, go to the elevator. And I was like, wait, what? Why are we going to an elevator to go to a waterfall? Well, as I stepped on the elevator, the uh, guide on the elevator began to give statistics. He said, we are now descending 26 stories by elevator, at which point he stops the elevator, opens the door to a solid wall of rock, and he says, if we get stuck, you'll never be buried any deeper or any cheaper. And he said, we're going to go down 1,120 feet, and we're going to explore a cave and have a scenic walk to the waterfall. So, I have done, I have bungee jumped. I have jumped off bridges and cliffs, I've ziplined, but there are two things in this world that I do not enjoy doing. One is elevators and one is caves. Now, I'm leading this group, so I'm thinking, okay, can't freak out now, take me back to the top. We made it through, I highly recommend it if anybody can do that. Um, I didn't want to get stuck in there. Uh, when I was planning to do this lesson, I'd already thought about the verse I was going to use and what I was going to say about being stuck. And God does have a sense of humor because this past weekend I was in New York City and I was in Macy's, which has 1 million, well, 1.25 million actually, uh, square feet of retail space. It's everything Christmas. It's amazing to see. So we're in, uh, five of us are in there shopping. We get separated and everybody says, let's meet on the eighth floor. Can't find the escalator, so I see an elevator. And I thought, okay, big girl, you can do this. So the door's open. I get in. I, there's room in the corner. I'm standing there, and the door slowly shut. And then we go, thunk. And it felt like we fell like 40 feet. Um, it wasn't. It, we just thunked. There's a woman in the corner. You know how that, there's always somebody in the corner punching buttons. She's punching buttons. And she says, oh, no, not again. So I'm thinking, I'm stuck on an elevator. I, I probably did that. <laughs> I'm stuck on an elevator with crazy people. And so as the elevator, the door slowly open, and the floor is like in the middle. You've seen that. And I knew from movies, you don't open the door and climb out. You'll get squished like a bug. So it's just like, okay, you can hold it together. We slowly got up there. The door's open, and I shot out of there. And I don't know that I'll ever get in another elevator again, but stuck. I do not want to be stuck. It's a bad place to be. Um, there is a place in Scripture in Psalm 40 that talks about being stuck in a very bad place. It's going to be on the screen Read it uh, with me. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet 
on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The King James Version says this is a horrible pit of mud and mire. And I hate to admit this, but I thought about the Cumberland River immediately. I was raised in the Cumberland River. But that mud, you know, that sinking mud you can't get your feet out of, that kind of mud where you, where you can't walk easily. Uh, think about just the slime that would be on the side of the walls where you can't get a handhold or a foothold to get out of a pit like that. Well, this psalm was written actually by David of David and Goliath fame. And while we know the man later became the king of Israel, we know he had a lot of things that happened to him. I don't know what was going on in his life at this point, but he had been in a very bad, dark place. You and I have a name for this. We call it the pits. We call it uh, just being in a place that's just so bad. It is so depressing. It is so exhausting. It is a hard place to get out of because we're trying to pull ourselves out of it. And as we think about it, it can be such a hopeless place because honestly, after a while, you just accept this is it. You just give in, so you hang curtains, you get out the diffuser, you sit back in your chair, and you just think, okay, this is life. We're stuck. How in the world did you get there? How did it even happen in the first place? One way you can get there is that you can be pushed in. No fault of your own. You didn't do anything. I could stand here and talk all day and have a thousand scenarios of how people get pushed in pits. Um, Abuse or a bad decision that was made or totally out of your hands. But you're in that pit nonetheless. Another way you can get in is you can slip in. It was a bad choice. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, Just you made a wrong decision. You just did not think this through. When I was a teenager growing up at our church, uh, the ladies and and, uh, a lot of our counselors at camp and different ones came up with this. And as we would walk out the door, they would all say to us as we were leaving, remember who you are. I know you know it, some of you out there, and who you represent. Remember who you are and who you represent. And what they were saying to us is, don't go do something stupid that's going to mess up your life, because they knew, they knew that one wrong turn could throw you in that pit. Another way you can get in that pit is that you can take a flying leap, and on the way in, you can do a double back flip with eyes wide open, fully knowing the, the consequences of what's going to happen with your actions, and you do it anyway. You see the barricade, you see the flashing lights, and you just plow on anyway with your bad self. However you got there, it is not a good place to be. I found myself in a pit last year, and so when Jason and I talked about me doing this today, God just put this on my heart to share a very personal experience with you. Um, I know a lot of you, and and I know what you think you see. I know you see the face, or you may or may not know some of the things I've been through. But I I just want to speak to you today from 
just really gut level from my heart. I just feel like God's impressing on me to do that. I'm doing it for a reason. It's for all you pit dwellers out there, those of you that made yourselves at home. It's for those of you who um, are going to find yourself in a pit. And we've got those people in our lives that we see they're stuck. They're stuck. How can we help? What can we do? I'm going to tell you right now, before you get your pen out and start making notes about here's how you get out of the pit, I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who does. And I know that he is able to get you out of that pit and keep you out of that pit. In October of 2017, my husband and I had gone to Florida and we were with some great friends, had a great time. We got ready to come back that Friday, and I just felt this sense of dread come over me. I couldn't shake it. That's not my personality. That's not me at all. I just thought, this is just, it was just weird. The next day, we were supposed to go to Fall Creek Falls to a family reunion, and my husband got sick. We ended up in the ER, and we didn't get to go. I thought, was that it? But the feeling of dread just hovered, just kept hanging on all weekend. On Monday, I was getting ready to prepare for a meeting that was happening at my house on Tuesday. So I was going to make dessert. They were all bringing food. So I thought, I'm going to make them Dawn's fudge cake. Now, if you don't know who Dawn is, she was my sister-in-law. She was married to my brother, Roger. I introduced them. She was an incredible woman. She was like a sister to me. I miss her terribly. She died of cancer in May of 2015. I know many of you miss her too. So I'm making the cake. My brother calls. And he, uh, being the TV snob that he is, doesn't have any way at his house to watch The Voice. So he wants to come to my house to watch The Voice. He knew somebody that was competing. I said, yeah, come on over. So when he walked in, I'm literally icing his favorite cake in the whole wide world. And so I say, hey, you want a piece of cake? Well, yeah. You want some ice cream on it? Well, yeah. You see, he was diabetic, and he would always tease and say it was worth giving up a little toe for chocolate. (laughs) So he sat in what we call the big room. I'll never forget this picture, watching the voice. He's yumming the whole way through, lapping up every bit of that chocolate, eating that. The next morning, I get a phone call, and I didn't recognize the number, but I'm glad I answered. And the phone call, uh, it was one of those where your mind can't connect everything that you're hearing. And he just said, uh, do you know Roger Ferguson? We've gotten a phone call. We can't get in his house. There's an emergency. What? So I'm running around trying to find the house key. Don't know how he's gotten my phone number. Who, you know, what's going on? So I don't know if Eddie called me or if I called him, but Eddie was at the house. He was working in his basement. Nobody knew that. So he ran up, let the ambulance drivers in. And honestly, my first thought was the fudge cake has made him sick. I just, you know, how crazy things go through your head. And so when I got there, I knew though something was terribly wrong. And I I thought probably it was something that had happened from the open heart surgery that he had had six months before. And I was praying he would not have to endure that again. So the ambulance drivers say, we're going to, they were very calm. They said, we're going to work on him a little bit. You go into the hospital, even though I'm trying to crawl in in the ambulance. No, you go into the hospital, we'll meet you there. Uh, And they passed me on the way, which I knew wasn't good. 
So I get to the hospital waiting room. I'm by myself. I'm pacing. I'm crying. I'm bargaining with God. I'm doing everything I know to do. And I want to tell you something that happened, and it is as real as I am standing here right now. In the middle of all of that, from my head to my toe, I felt a sense. I'm not talking just peace. I'm talking a sense of euphoria. I'm talking about, I don't even know if I can explain that I've ever felt that way before. Just euphoria that in my heart, just this voice said, everything's all right. And I knew it was. I knew everything was all right. About that time, a nurse came out. She said the doctor wanted to meet with me. And okay, we have to have surgery. What's going to have to happen? The doctor took my hands and he said, I need your help. He said, "Um, we've been trying to revive your brother for 20 minutes. Can we stop? And I said, yes, of course. The room was full and I knew he was gone. And then all of y'all showed up. What had just happened? Um, My mother and daddy both have passed. Daddy in his early 70s from sleep apnea. It's a real thing. Uh, My mother just a few months before Dawn did. And, And horrible, tragic, very sad, but expected. I expected at some point I would lose my parents. Never dreamed my little brother would go like this. Never in my wildest dreams. Uh, We had always told each other that we would um, feed each other ice cream in the home. (laughs) And that if we couldn't eat ice cream, that we would smother the other one with a pillow. That was always always our deal. And I was never supposed to be the one to tell them to quit working on him, to try to revive him. And uh, the slide into the pit began. I will tell you that... um, there were lots of hits that kept coming. Any one of them was enough to put me in a pit. They just kept coming. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I got every virus known to man going around. Um, and for the first time in my life, I lived every day in fear and anxiety. Just the stress uh, was was just something I, I just felt like I couldn't bear. Um, I fought many battles. This isn't the first thing that had happened to me. I'm old. Uh, this isn't the first thing that's happened in my life. I've, I have dealt with some hard, hard things. I have fasted and prayed my way through some very hard things. But this one was different. Um, it was trying to take me down, and I knew it. I felt the presence of the enemy like I have never felt the presence of the enemy in my life. And I knew that he was trying to take me down. I knew I belonged to God. I knew my salvation was was not a question. But I knew he was trying to cripple me right now on this earth. I remember at one of my lowest points going into my prayer room. And I remember laying on the floor and crying and screaming out, God, where are you? Why have you left me? And the sounds that came out of me were like the sounds of a wounded animal. I talked to other people, a lot of you, about this. I asked for prayers, and you guys have been so faithful, Mark Tucker. You will never know. You will never know what your prayers have meant to me. When you say to me, I pray for you every day, I have counted on that. That's why I'm still standing. 
My husband had never seen me like this. I was very, very worried. Uh, got to get some help. Got to do something. My poor co-workers, bless them. They prayed over me or around me. Didn't <laughs> know what to do with me. But they let me be, and they were there for me. Thank you. My house group was so supportive. Uh, Lisa Richard jumped up at one point and did a big old karate kick and said that she was going to fight the devil for me. Now, now I knew he was scared of her. <laughs> I said, good, that's good. Um, I remember saying over and over and over and over, I, I know I need to fight, but I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I said that over and over. And Melody Jamison one night just gave me a little slap in my, not really, in my, in my house group. She said, you are a fighter. You are a fighter. And I want you to know something. As, as prayer came and, and encouragement came, something started to take over. And I think it was, too, when I looked at a date and I realized that 15 years ago this year, I went through a time of transformation in the way I think about food. I was handed a little book, and it was talking about reframing how you eat through prayer and fasting. And it changed my life. And that's another story for another day. But just know that I, was, I, I knew I had experienced being delivered from something. I remember being free from something that came to my heart. Then I also remembered that my brother had gone through his own hard time back in his 30s. He started having panic attacks. He couldn't go in Walmart. The walls would close in on him. He ended up in the hospital because his esophagus was so eroded that they had to give him medication to help him even eat. And so as the doctors and everybody's trying to help him through this time, he realized something. He, one thing, he couldn't function on the medications they were giving him, so he knew he was going to have to do something else. So he did something that I'm so thankful for. He turned back to God. He, uh, one thing, he, uh, as a child, always there, we were always in church, he, he was a believer, but as a teenager, he turned away. And in his 30s, he turned back, and he turned away full, fully. And when he turned back, 100%, 100% turned back to God. He went back to school. He became a social worker. And during that time, he started doing what he called the work. And in this work, it helped him be set free from fear and anxiety. And then he spent the rest of his days helping other people to get out of their pits handing them hope in a very biblical way, very godly way, helping them do that. And for years, I heard him talk to people about this book. And I, I knew the book was on his shelves. I knew exactly what he was talking about. And, and he never pushed it on anybody. He would wait for somebody to come to him. He never said, you need to do this. He did tell me what to do a lot, but he didn't tell me about that. <clears throat> so I, I went and got the book off his shelf. And so I read it, I listened to podcasts about it, I listened to the book, I took notes, I started immersing myself in this healing process. And so as I began to remember how God had delivered me before, I saw how God had delivered Roger, something started growing, something started taking over, something started being bigger than the fear and anxiety, and you know what it was, it was hope. It was hope, hope in God, hope that he could do what he says he can do. 
hope that he would deliver me, hope that he would set me on a firm foundation, delivered totally. I, I don't mean, when I say this, I want you to understand this. I'm not saying, I mean, I'm standing in front of you talking for heaven's sakes. I mean, it's just like delivered, delivered from fear and anxiety, delivered, gone, gone, praise God. And as I was going through that, I came upon this sentence, and I've kept it in front of me. I have written it down. I, I look at it all the time, and the, this is what it says, is what a price I pay for thinking like I do. What a price I pay for thinking like I do. Because, see, I was stuck in fear and anxiety because of what had happened in the past. This was real stuff. I didn't make this up. This, this stuff happened. But because of that, it was robbing me of the joy <clears throat> of the moment, of the joy and the peace of the moment because of what had happened in the past. And I was allowing that to happen. What a price I pay. So the Lord and I embarked on a journey. I mean... I had allowed Satan to get a foothold in my brain. I did. I allowed him to get in there, and he was building a fortress in my mind. He was trying to block God out and not let me hear him. So I began to pray bold prayers against Satan. I'd never done that before. I began to pray. I, I began to tell God stuff. I didn't think he knew. I began to, I, I want to tell you something. I emptied my heart of everything. It was raw. It was honest. It was gut level. You know, it wasn't my normal prayer. It wasn't my well thought out prayer. It wasn't my axe prayer. It was, gut, it was throwing it all out and up. And I knew at that point he was right there. I never, I, the, the presence of the enemy was gone. I felt the presence of the Lord with me, holding me on, coaching me, coaching me, walking me through this. Not, just stay focused on him. Stay focused on him. I soaked up scripture like a starving person. Um, 2 Corinthians 10. It's going to be on the screen. Verse 3 says, For though we live in the world, which we do, we do not wage war as the world does. We, the weapons we fight with, are not the weapons of the world. Did you get that? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. The weapons of the world are, that the girls are going to get, they're temporary. Yes, they might be okay for a minute. It's a temporary fix. On the contrary, they, those weapons, have divine power to, what's the word? Demolish. What does demolish mean? Obliterate. Gone. Gone. Demolish those strongholds. Verse 5, here we go. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Therapists have a word for this. They call it cognitive restructuring. Scripture calls it transformation. Transforming the mind. I begin to pray scripture. I, I love God's word. God's word is on my heart. I began just, that is what I did. I just prayed scripture just day by day, hour by hour sometimes. Things like, I am a part of the body of Christ. 
Satan has no power over me because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. No weapon formed against me will stand. I am like a tree planted by the water whose roots go out. It does not fear when the heat comes. There is no drought. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries and always bears fruit. No evil will come near me because God has given his angels charge over me. I'm an overcomer and I have overcome by the blood of the lamb. I'm submitted to God and the devil flees from me because I resist him in the name of Jesus. I'm a new creation in Christ. I have the mind of Christ. I'm far from oppression and fear does not come near me. And here's my mantra over and over and over and over. I let the peace of God rule my heart and I refuse to worry about anything. Refuse to worry about anything. I immerse myself in music. Thank you, Chris Lindsay and Vicki and the whole worship band. Thank you for the time that you spend to bring these songs to us that ring in our ears, that's what we have to, to just rely on so many times. Just do you wake up in the morning, sometimes these songs are on your heart. I'm no longer a slave. I serve a good, good father. <sighs> Such a blessing, so sweet to know that Jesus is wonderful and powerful and beautiful and that God says I am his and I believe that. And then there was a day that I remember so very well. I was writing in my journal, which I had just started journaling. I go back and look at it now, and I don't even recognize the handwriting, but just a desperate pouring out. And I remember this one day. I remember sitting down, writing in my journal, and I wrote something. And as I looked at it, it was like, I don't even know how to put it. It's like all the fortress just fell away. It's like it was gone. It just like everything fell away. And, and God and I did a big old high five and a little dance and that day and just so thankful, so thankful because I was delivered from fear and anxiety, delivered from the crippling fear and anxiety that was robbing me of joy and peace of the moment. He, God gave me a new song, and it's a song you and I have heard all of our lives but it's a new song. And I, I just pray, I'm just going to pray right now that it just washes fresh over you as I read this over you today. Just, just know if you're in a pit, you need this song. The Lord is my shepherd. Hmm. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You need that right now in December? He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshed my soul. You need your soul refreshed. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies, my cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
I love that part, anoint my head with oil. That just sounds so soothing. But the people of that culture would know exactly when a shepherd anointed the head of a sheep. It was to keep out parasites, keep bug bites from getting infected. It was protection. It is protection for our mind. God knows we need protection for the way that we think. So I want to ask you something. Are you in a pit? Are you stuck? And I'm going to do something right now because I know I need this when I'm sitting where you are. A lot of times Jason's talking or somebody else says something. I'm writing in my Bible. I'm taking notes. I'm convicted by the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And so I think I'm going to meditate on this. I'm going to think about this later. We leave here. We go to lunch. Life happens, and that's the last I think of it. So we're going to do a little something right now. I'm going to give you a verse to start with. And if you're in a pit, you're going to be in a pit, you know somebody who's in one. We can all relate to this. And when I do this, it's Psalm 31-2, and we're going to read this together. And I know some of you are going to be crying out. And if, if this is something that you need, just cry out just, just, just with everything in there. And it's interesting because we're telling God what to do. Don't you see? These are imperatives. God, do this. God, do this. God, do this. Read this with me. Lord, read it with me. Lord, hear my cry. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Anybody need that? Anybody need that? Let's say it again. Let's say it again. Lord, hear my cry. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Lord, I pray for everybody in here. I pray for as you have convicted by your Holy Spirit, you Bring healing. You bring deliverance, Lord, to your glory in the name of Jesus. And once we've been delivered, why would we ever go back? I recently read a blog uh, in, um, Matthew, about Matthew 8. It's the story of the demon-possessed men who are uh, very violent. They live in the tombs, which is a great place for violent people to live, don't you think? And think about in your town, it's like nobody, you know, nobody go that way. Nobody travel by that way. Hide your wife, hide your kids, get them out of the way. So Jesus comes to town. And when Jesus comes to town, you know something's going to happen. So Jesus comes in. And when he comes in, it's interesting. It says the demons recognized him. And they said, if you're going to deliver us, throw us into those pigs. So Jesus did that, threw the demons into the pigs. The pigs went off a cliff into the water, and drown. Now, it says then, when the people found out what Jesus had done, that the whole town went out to meet him. You would think that they would be taking the key to the city and ribbons and plaques and all kinds of that stuff. But it says in Matthew eight thirty four, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Why in the world would they ask Jesus to leave when he had delivered them of this horrible thing, these violent men that were tearing up the city. Well, if you think about it, uh, you've probably heard lessons about it, that they have said that it was an economic crisis because the pigs were their bacon. 
And so they would have lost those and they would have died. So I don't know if that's true, but I do know that there's a lesson for us in here. And the lesson for us is this, that sometimes, this is a tough one, sometimes you and I had rather live with our demons than experience and do what has to be done to be delivered from the, those demons. And, and it's going to be in a way that's sacrificial by God for what he did. But he wants to do something within us that's radical he wants to do something supernatural, and he wants to make changes within each of us that are going to bring us into freedom. In fact, here's what we tell ourselves. It's going to be on the screen. It says, I'll make peace with the demons I know rather than deal with the big change. Wow. I'll make peace with the demons I know rather than make a big change. You know, I hear this a lot. Somebody who's stuck... And they're, they're resigned to it, hopeless, totally given up, accepting there's, there's no motivation to change. This is the way life is. It just is what it is. And in this place, hope can die. And it is called a learned helplessness. It is a learned helplessness. And I will tell you something. That is a big, fat lie of the enemy. It's a big, fat lie of the enemy. And why would we do this? Because it's what we know. We know what it sounds like, what it feels like, what it, uh, we, we, can, we can spot it a mile away. We know and we recognize it. It's familiar to us. And let me tell you something, when freedom and deliverance come to us, it's all new. It's all changed. You're pulled away from that. And when we're tempted to give in to that, when something triggers us, we hear that sound. We hear a, we see something that triggers us. We might, we'll go over and look in that pit We may even sit down and dangle our legs in there or say hey to the demons that are trying to pull us back in there. God made us creatures of choice. We are not robots. We are people who have to make choices. And he's waiting for you to understand that he's the way. He's waiting for you to understand that he's the source. And he's the way to get out of that pit. And he's already done the work for you to get out. Do you understand that? He's already done the work for you to get out of that pit. He's done it for your blessing, of course, and for his glory. And he's done it so that others will see transformation. See, this is what, you know, we come here and, and we expect an encounter with Jesus. And, and that is... Seeds are planted within us for change, for transformation. We have to allow that by choice to happen within that. Um, I want to tell you something. My story and my journey may not be yours, but I will tell you it is available. Abundant life is available for you. I want to encourage you with that because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Nothing is impossible. Do you believe that? He loves us, and he loves us just like we are. He loves us in our messes and in our brokenness and the abuses that have been heaped on us. He loves us in all of that. In fact, we say this all the time. We're imperfect people, but he doesn't want to leave us there. He wants us to be people who are sold out and are fully devoted to Jesus, people who are overcomers, people who live transformed life that glorify him. 
And he is able and he will finish the work he started in us. He brings cleansing. He brings healing. He brings salvation. He brings redemption. Even when it seems beyond what our hearts can bear and what our minds can comprehend, he is there because he's our healer and our redeemer and our friend. I hope this hope will wash over you. That's, that's what this is about today. And what a beautiful way now for us to enter into communion together. What a beautiful way for us to, to just thank Jesus. You realize he's delivered us from sin and death forever. We believe that, right? You believe that, amen? But do you believe he can deliver you from the picture in today? Do you believe that? Do you believe he can do that? You got to let go. You got to let it go. Let Jesus pray with me. Father, we are trusting you to make something beautiful out of us, out of our messes. We thank you, Lord, for your never-ending love. Lord, shower us in the outpouring of your affection and your joy and your hope. And I pray that you will deliver each of us from the horrible, horrible pits, however we got there. Jesus, we thank you for your incredible sacrifice for each of us. We, we remember you now with the bread and the juice that you have delivered us for all time. You have delivered us from sin. You have delivered us from death. And you came that we would have life and have it abundantly to your glory, to your glory, so that others will see and believe. And it's in the holy name of Jesus that we pray to you and praise your great and holy name. For great are you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. You're dismissed to the tables, and when we're done, come back and we'll continue worshiping.